guys, today I'm going to read chapter 22 of the Shakespeare Scribe. So here I go. But the right time seemed never to come. When the players were on the road, Jamie, Redsaw, and I were continually in the company of the other princesses' hired friends. I could not say the same for Jack and Ned and Saw Polly. Certainly, I would not have cared to discuss so personal a matter before them. When we were in re- residence in some town, our mornings were occupied by rehearsing and occasional lessons, and our afternoons with performing. In the evenings, Jamie Lassalle was seldom at the inn with the rest of us. I was suspected that he and Ned were, despite their pledge, still cheering, trying in the local alehouses, though heaven only knew what they found to wager with. And the sharers' plan to play only the larger towns and thus avoid being associated with the company of thieves who were passing themselves off as players proved to be flawed. The most populous places were, we found, also the ones most susceptible to the plague. Some of the these contagion rat cities turned away all travelers. The <coughs> the uh, uh, this, uh, the officials of some towns drove us off with threats. Others paid us substantial sums not to perform. When we reached Shrewbury, which sat off the main road a little way, we found signs posted outside the town forbidding everyone at all to enter. That is, that's unfortunate, said Mr. Hemmings. We're short on supplies. They can't keep us out, said Jamie, it's uh, indifferently, and gripping his walking stick with a cudgel, strode forward past the sign and up the Broadman Street. Broadman Street. He had not gone fifty yards before the first men began to emerge from the taverns and shops. Several had swords drawn. One, a tavern keeper, jugging from his apron, carried a gun and a wide-barreled matchlock of blunderbuss. In case you don't can't read, he called out. The sign says no traveler is allowed. Jimmy halted. We need food and drink. Go beyond the sign then, and we'll bring it to you. When Jimmy Redsaw rejoined the company, Mr. Armin said. We would have handled the matter, Mr. Ritzel. It's not your concern. Jamie Ritzel smiled more smugly than apologetically, I thought. My stomach is my concern, he said. A short while later, a small group of men, led by the tavern keeper with blunderbuss, approached us. One of the men carried a large basket of ver- Viands, cheese, bread, dried fish, apples, and another small keg of ale. They set the provisions 
in the room. That's seven shillings worth, said the tavern keeper. Put your coins in the plate stone. The plate stone repeated. <coughs> Sorry. The plate stone repeated Mr. Hemmings. The man pointed to a limestone boulder that sat beside the a short uh, 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 side of the road. A sort of bowl had been carved into the top of it, and this, this depression was filled with water. Mr. Hemmings dropped half a wrinkle and two shillings into it. I leaned over to whisper at Sam. I must imagine that water somehow drones the infection. Doesn't it? said Sam. I don't can, I replied, more irritably added. Why does everyone seem to think I'm a physician? I'm an a- actor. I can see that, Sam said calmly. This is your imper- impersonation on self- of Salpavi, right? I tried to glare at him, but somehow turned into a grin. He thought. In the tail fold, we found that we had once again been preceded by a band of thieves posing as players. There was a new, uh, a new development in their deceit. Now, though, this time they were calling themselves the Lord Chamberlain's men. The mayor pointed out to some, uh, um, pointed out to us one of the handbills the counterfeit company had posted announcing a performance that the mayor paid for but never saw. The play it purported to advertise was none other than Mr. Shakespeare's King John. Gog's blood, I said to Jane Yetzel. Now we can who stole the bills from you, and why? I expected him to react with anger and vow to catch the culprits. Instead, he shook his head, tapped the handbill with the head of his walking stick, and and said with something like admiration, Well, there's nothing denying their cheeky, clever rascals, is there? We moved... <coughs> Sorry. We moved on the Brigna, where we played a single performance of Fool Upon Fool, then took ourselves to the Kid, um, Kidderminster. Like most of the towns we had, we had played since leaving Leeds. These were not in the internary I had sent I had sent to Sandy. And we play none of the places we planned to, I complained to Sam. How can we ever hope for a letter from London to find us? Since few of these smaller towns had halls big enough to accommodate us, we often had to set up our wagon at stage in the courtyard of the inn where we were lodging. 
It was far from the ideal of painting space. The boards, the boards sagged and swayed under our feet, and because the stage was so much smaller than we were used to, there we were in constant danger of stepping off the edge. In fact, I did that during my King John sword fighting scene with Zalpelvi. I was wary of his wild edge bull skill and had spent a good deal of my time retreating. He failed to <coughs> He failed to warn me that I had run out of the room. So off I went and landed luckily in the arms of one of the audience. For my pains I got a round of laughter and applause. As with the blow he delivered on my collarbone, I was certain that this had been no accident. Though I was furious, I neither comforted him nor complained to the shares. Jamie Ritzoff, who had seen me take a fall, urged me to a relative kind. The next time you play the scene, let him have an accidental thrust to the groin. He'll never expect it, and it's certain he'll never forget it. I laughed weakly, as I deserve much, as much, but I cannot. I promised Mr. Armin I'd be patient with him. That's a fool's promise. I know how boys like Sophie work. I, if you don't strike back, he'll continue to push and push you until he's pushed you out of the picture. So he gave me a searching glance. You're not afraid of him, are you? Of course not, I replied indignantly. Good, then show him. There would be no opportunity of exact revenge on Salpavi until we played King John again, which likely would not be a week or so. Our next stop was Worcester, a town that was for a change actually on our internary. I was prepared prepared to perform at an inn once more, but Rochester proved to be an actual theater, built as a venue for gypsy companies like Giles, as reason why our shearers had put it on our skewers. Several other companies we learned had been here before us, <coughs> including a much reduced Lord Admiral's men and the scaled-down version of Earl of Derby's men. We, when we emerged from the town hall, having secured permission to play two afternoon performances, we dis- we discovered a burgled troop of players who, presumably, come there for the singer pose. Every member of the company was afoot. Their single carewear, which looked about to collapse, was pulled by two horses in much of the same state. Though they were no special livery, Mr. Armin recognized them as the Earl of Hereford's men. They greeted the man who headed up 
sorry looking company, a tall, underfurred fellow with a crooked teeth, who would have looked more at home in a wheat field chasing crows than on a stage. Hello, Morden. Uh, you and your men look as though you're a bit down on your luck. The man named Martin looked over the company, who were clad in our fine blue caps and capes. And you looked, though, like you're prospered. Only lately. We've had... Uh, presumably come there for the same purpose. Every member of the company was afoot. Their single care wear, which looked about to collapse, was pulled by two horses in much of the same state. Though they were no special livery, Mr. Armin recognized them as Earl Hunsford's men. He greeted the men who headed up from Sorrel-looking company, a tall, unforded fellow with crooked teeth, who would have looked more at home in a wheat field chasing crows than on a stage? Hello, Morden. You and your men look as though you're a bit down on your luck. The man named Martin looked over our company, who were clad in fine blue caps and capes. And you look as though you've prospered. Only lately. We've had our share of hard times, too. I suppose you've gotten permission to play here already, at Mr. Armin's nod, Martin's call. We were counting on a brief engagement here to give us enough funds uh, to the lip back in London. We've already sold our livery, livery uh, our best horses, and one of our wagons. That we've nothing left to sell save our costumes and the clothes of our vets. The sharers offered to let them perform in our place, but Hedgeford men refused. That would be unfair, said Martin. Well, suppose we toss a coin, said Mr. Armin. Martin shook his head. To a obliterate. I propose instead that we hold an acting competition as the players who acquit themselves best in an opinion of the audience will then get to the perform for the purpose. What say you? After a moment consultation, the sharers accepted the challenge. Shall we say be- before the town hall at four o'clock? said Miss Charmin. We'll send a courier around town to announce it. So that was chapter 22. Bye guys, see you later. See you later. <coughs> See you later. Bye guys. Bye guys.